And we're live. Welcome back, everyone, to a new episode of the Wheelie Podcast. I'm your host, Micah Toll. I'm joined again this week by Electrek's Seth Weintraub. How's it going, Seth? I'm good. And we've got another guest on the show this week. This week, we are talking with Andrew Davidge, who is the founder of Vintage Electric Bikes. How's it going, Andrew? Excellent. Awesome. So while we've got a lot of cool stories to talk about this week, one of our favorites and what we're going to start off with is the story about Vintage Electric Bikes 72-volt line of 40-mile-an-hour electric bikes. So, Andrew, we're just going to start with an easy one here. Can you tell us a little bit about Vintage Electric Bikes and what makes these unique e-bikes so much different than everything else that we see? Yeah, I mean, we started the company all the way back in 2012. And it was really just, we wanted to build a bike that, you know, we are, we're all motorcycle racers, bike racers, come from car racing backgrounds. We really wanted to build bikes that were quality and could stand the test of time. And, uh, and we were proud to ride. So we really started the company by building bikes for ourselves. And then people kept wanting to buy them, started, you know, started off, said, okay, we'll build, you know, 10 or 15 of these back in 2012. And then, um, I've told this story a lot, but we went to, uh, a car show down in Monterey, we were invited to put the two prototypes on the red carpet. And we sold like 35 that night, which was a huge deal for us. Um, and kind of the rest is history. So, you know, everybody at the company cares about performance, quality and design. So uh, we've always just since then continued to develop the product, push the levels on performance and, and really quality too. You know, it's we want to build bikes that that don't end up in a landfill after five years and we can really keep on the road for a lifetime. Right. So definitely performance and quality are, are two hallmarks of vintage. But I think one thing that anyone watching the uh, YouTube feed here will see immediately is that design is also really unique here. I mean, you guys have built what looks like, you know, not, no other cruiser electric bike we've seen before. It's got the vintage styling, but it brings in, you know, motorcycle vibes. It's got that sort of like V-twin style battery case. I mean, how did you guys decide to go with this unique design and how have you developed it over the years? Yeah, I mean, I think that I've always loved the old vintage board track race bikes, you know, from the turn of the century. Uh, and that was really the general inspiration of that. Uh, but also just love riding motorcycles and I love riding bicycles. So it was really just blending those two passions together. And, and this is what really what was born. Um, but yeah, really, you know, they're, when you build powerful performance machines, there's a responsibility for it. And that's why, you know, you see the, the big disc brakes, the big inverted suspension forks. Um, and then the battery box really, you know, it, it does have that V twin look, but it also is completely functional. So, it works to air cool all of the electrical components inside that battery box. So uh, it's all heat synced. The controllers run 60% cooler hooked up to that cast aluminum battery box. Right. And when you say high performance, I mean, you're not kidding here. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think these bikes have 4,000 watt peak motors, even if, you know, they ship in 750 watt, um, you know, class two uh, limits. I mean, we're talking about big batteries, 1100 um, watt hours, right? I mean, this is some serious performance. Yeah. And for the new 72 volt line, uh, we've always built bikes that have a pretty great top speed. Um, but really the idea behind this drivetrain was low end torque. Um, a lot of our customers live in hilly areas and we wanted to build a battery pack that you could go out for an all day ride. And, you know, with this new drivetrain, you're hard braking going into corners, climbing some of the steepest hills in Northern California. Um, so it's, yeah. And so Seth, you've spent uh, some good time on some of these bikes before, right? Yep. We, uh, Andrew and I went up to the top of what is signal Hill, something, uh, Mount Hamilton, I think Mount Hamilton. Yeah. That was, that yeah. was quite a, quite a treat. Um, and it was a dirt road. Uh, I think we were on, uh, a 35 mile per hour bike at, yep. at that point. What uh, kind of, you know, it felt like somewhere between a motorcycle and a bike. Um, all the components are, you know, quite, you know, I would, I would say like over, over produced or over, it's just way stronger than they needed to be. Um, <laughs> felt, you know, very stiff and um, it was exciting. We were on a dirt road. We were kind of flying around. Um, it's a great experience. So yeah, what's uh, what's new that 
that Seth wouldn't have been able to experience in those bikes before that's different about the 72 volt line. If he goes and rides these now, what's, uh, what's he going to feel that's different? Yeah, there's lots of little details and iterations, you know, suspension fork, we've changed the geometry a little bit to be a little bit more stable, handle better. Um, the brakes have been improved. Um, but the, the biggest difference you would feel is the acceleration going up those hills on our older 48 volt system on one of the hills that we test around here, which is 15% grade, just super steep. Um, the old bike would do, you know, 12 to 15 miles an hour up it. Um, and then th- these new drive trains in race mode uh, will do about 30 miles an hour going up those hills. So you're bra- you are truly brakey going into corners and it really just kind of brings in that motorcycle-like riding experience going up the steepest hills. Yeah, and, and you mentioned braking there. Um, so one thing I like about these um, is there is regenerative braking. And, you know, while regenerative braking on bikes doesn't necessarily put a lot of power back in the battery, it does kind of take some of the cost out of replacing your brakes, every you know, brake pads. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Like, how much power can you regenerate? You know, why can't you regen like a car that has, a, you know, a significant amount of regen? And, you know, do you ever have to replace brakes uh, on these things? Um, yeah, you definitely will be, depending on how you're riding, you definitely are still going to be replacing brake pads, but with our new high torque motor that we developed and the new 72 volt battery, we can actually put a lot more amps back into that battery pack quickly. Um, so region hat, we've been able to bring that percentage of region up to 20% of 4,000 Watts. Um, so it, you know, depending on where you're at on the, on, you know, the battery charge, you can really slow down using regen alone. Um, and our new brakes are pretty cool. They have a full adjustment. So you can actually fully adjust your contact point of when the regen comes in. Um, and then we can also turn up and down regen for customers uh, via Bluetooth as well. So is That's that awesome. an app that customers can can use themselves or would it have to be set by you guys? We're, we're working on, on that. Um, customers can use it. It's not necessarily a customer facing app, but if a customer comes to us and says, hey, you know, I, I'd, I've noticed this with, with my type of writing. Can we improve this? Uh, we can go in there and fully adjust the writing experience for the customer. Okay, interesting. Um, and so I guess anyone who knows Seth and I will know that we're huge fans of high power and fast e-bikes. You know, we love the ability to, to go fast and have that strong acceleration. But if I were to play devil's advocate a little bit here, I know there are always people that, that hear, you know, an electric bicycle that goes 40 miles an hour. Is that really a, a bicycle anymore? And, and what is your response to that? You know, that's that's one of the main reasons why we really went back to the drawing board on low-end torque and acceleration, because that's something that can totally be enjoyed in the legal limits that the bikes are sold at. So that acceleration from zero to 20, which is a great experience for people, um, and also just the hill climbing ability being able to climb the steepest hills in San Francisco while still being under the legal limit. Um, and on, the, on our new 72 volt bike, but also on our new tracker classic that we're launching, that bike speed has actually been reduced um, from 36 miles an hour down to about 26, 28. Cause that's where a lot of our customers ride the bikes, you know, 26, 28 miles an hour, um, good safe speed for getting around town. And then as far as the race mode goes, um, we, you know, it's off-road private property only. Uh, we sell a lot of bikes in Indonesia where it's totally legal for them to be riding with race mode in on public roads. And then we also sell a lot of bikes to customers who use these to get around their their houses, um, estates type thing, um, but also at the racetrack as pit bikes. So when they're going out to the vintage races, they have two of these in their trailer, they pull them out, use them to get around the track. Um, so I, as a company, I don't want to get into the top speed um, competition. You know, it's, uh, we're not, we're not building motorcycles. There's motorcycles that do 200 miles an hour. People have already done it. Um, For us, it's really refining that riding experience um, within kind of those legal limits, if that makes sense. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, it it really does. And, you know, I have to admit, um, you know, we get a lot of bikes to try out. Um, I actually do feel a little bit safer on 35 mile per hour roads going 35 miles per hour versus, you know, 28 and having somebody trying to, to pass me. Is there any kind of, uh, I don't know, you know, we have the, the neighborhood electric vehicle kind of legislation in the U S is there any kind of, uh, 
legislation that's going around about an, another class of e-bikes, kind of more in the moped, uh, mid-range, somewhere between a, a motorcycle and an e-bike. Is there is there some way that we can drive 35 miles per hour on streets? Yeah, like I mean, class right. Four. Yeah, I mean, everyone talks about class four, right? And you might you might know more than I do about it, but I do think that there is a need um, for this type of vehicle and the other vehicles you see coming out with, you know, some, you could call them our competitors. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you're on, when you're on roads that you're riding with traffic and these aren't nice, nice bike paths through the park, right? You ride on a nice bike path through the park, stick to the 20 mile an hour speed yep. limit. But when you're out with traffic and there's no bike paths or bike lanes, um, uh, I do think that the U S is in need of a different classification, um, and 40 miles an hour is fast. And, and as a company, we like building fast things, but I think that 30 to 35 mile an hour mark, maybe there's a one-time registration for, for the vehicle so you can get insurances and things like that. Uh, but I'm all for regulating um, this type of vehicle. And I think there's a spot for that, that class four uh, compliant bike that is allowed to ride on bike paths that parallel, parallel the road. And you're out there with traffic because um, I think that's the only way that this really becomes mass market and people are seeing these as uh, a you know true alternative to hopping in their car when they just need to run down to the grocery store and grab a carton of milk. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think you know when we're talking about 40 mile an hour electric bicycles here, I, I think it's important to talk about what makes an e-bike safe at those speeds. You know, we, we've heard a lot of people say like, oh, why would you spend so much on on a bike that goes this fast, I can get an eBay kit, overvolt it, slap it on a Huffy and go 40 miles an hour. You know, I think, you know, all three of us are quite familiar with the DIY e-bike scene. So what is it about your bikes that is required to make sure that they can not only do 40 miles an hour, but do it safely? Yeah. And that's, that comes down to the testing standards that we do when we manufacture these. So, you know, the frames, forks, they're all tested to downhill mountain bike or motorcycle standards. Uh, along with along with brakes that can keep up with it. And really, it's really a complete package that we feel comfortable selling to a customer and allowing them to go 40 miles an hour. And Seth's been on the bike, he's experienced it. And it's it's really just overbuilding everything. And that's the reason we get probably like five calls per day on people that just want to buy the drivetrains from our bikes. And <laughs> it would, we could make money doing that. But the last thing I'd want to do is see someone take one of our powerful drivetrains, put it on a Schwinn beach cruiser and, you know, just under braking load alone on a single crown fork like that, it could snap. Um, their brakes wouldn't be able to handle it. The tires wouldn't be able to handle it. The, the rims wouldn't be able to handle it. So um, we shy away from selling complete kits because we want to sell it an overall package that's designed and engineered uh, to really achieve those speeds. Yeah, I bet your lawyers probably nipped that idea in the bud before it went anywhere. Yeah, I mean, we could probably do it. Um, we we could figure out a way to do it, but it's it, safety is a huge priority for us. Um, and building bikes that, you know, building a powerful drivetrain is almost the easy part, um, but making sure that it's long lasting, it'll last for years to come, and it's bolted onto a chassis that can handle it is is really where we spend all of our effort. And and so the chassis are, you know, quite striking. I think that's probably one of the things that, you know, you know, besides the power and the speed and the build quality, like the design, you know, everything from the the light to the the body to the you know the 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 battery pack is like so well crafted. Do you find that people like maybe the opposite of that, you know, just the drivetrain, do you find that people are like, Hey, I wanna I wanna, you know, build my own motorcycle, but I would love to start with like your bike. Do you find anybody doing that? Yeah, it's interesting. In the early years, there was a lot of people that were into those, you know, kind of uh, the company called Lifan or or those gas two-stroke powered motors. Mm -hmm. Um, And they would call us wanting to buy our chassis to put those two-stroke motors in. But but over the last three years, that's just completely disappeared. And it's like, if they're doing it, they want to do it electric, uh, which is pretty cool to see. 
Yeah, I helped okay. a friend in college put one of those uh, 50cc kits on his bike. I had an electric bike. We built him that that gas one. And oh, man, that thing was awful. And it, it yeah. also burned through gas so fast. We'd have to ride around. And I had a red gas can on the back of my bike <laughs> so we could fill him up when he ran out. It was it was terrible. I'm glad to see those things slowly disappear. Yeah. And it, I mean, that's really how our company started was I had an old Honda 75 and I wanted to build a board track bike. So I, I got a frame fork, welded up mounts for it and made it so that Honda 75 motor could fit in it. And uh, a friend of mine that I grew up just building crazy stuff with, he was in all my metal shop courses in high school. We built these gas powered bikes and, and the moment I took it out, I was like, this is just obnoxious. Um, and then, so I started researching electric stuff and, and pulled that Honda motor out and built a battery box. And, and, uh, that's really how the first bike was built. The first bike, the first vintage electric actually had a Honda 75 CC gas motor in it. (laughs) Interesting. That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, I've got my own, uh, Honda 50 actually that's sitting halfway converted to electric in my parents' garage. And it's it's this project I started and I've got to find the time to finish it. But I'm right there with you. My parents actually called me like six months ago and they're like, are you ever going to get this Honda out of our garage? It was all in pieces. (laughs) So I actually, I actually had my friend restore it for me. So it's sitting up on my, it's sitting up on the wall in my office. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. So you, you talked about Indonesia before, uh, you're, I'm I'm assuming there's, there's lots of bikes going all over the world. Can you kind of give us a breakdown of how much are domestic and, and foreign and, and what exotic places are these things going? Yeah, I'd say in the early days, a lot of our bikes went to Australia, the UK and Indonesia. Uh, but with COVID, it just really exploded the whole electric bike scene here. So I'd say 75% are going to the U S market now. Um, and then the rest, there's a handful that go into the UK. We have a great retailer in London. Uh, they sell a lot of our pedal assist bikes as well. Um, and then we have a few great dealers in Indonesia. And that was a market I just didn't even think about. But it's uh, over there, it's very expensive to register a Harley on the road. Um, so our bikes are a really great option. It's also hot there. And with the traffic in Jakarta, you're not, you're not really going over 30 miles an hour at any point in time. Um, so either sitting in traffic on a air cooled motorcycle, sweating in your suit, trying to get to work, or you're on one of these things, no heat and, and, uh, and you can get around traffic a little bit easier. It's so much fun riding around the crazy traffic of Jakarta on one of these bikes. It's like, it's, it's like a cheat code to the city. Like it is in most cities, but. (laughs) Well, I was just going to say like any e-bike, even in New York city is a, a cheat code. And, um, you know, obviously e-bikes have taken off there as well. Um, so, I mean, you know, the, the 75% in the U S, um, is there, you know, are you seeing a lot in the cities Are these, these kind of country bikes as well? Yeah. Like- so I'd say our, our pedal assist bike and the cafe platform, um, that one's a bit more popular in cities and with a different demographic, cause you can remove the battery pack. You can plug it in your apartment, your office, um, a bit more of just a, you know, city fast commuter bike. And that bike has a lot of power too. It's a ton of fun to ride. Uh, and then I'd say our throttle bikes are found more in the suburbs outside of cities. So, um, you know, people that probably have, have a garage, um, but we have a dealer that opened up in San Francisco and, and they're selling a lot of them there now. Um, but I'd say it's mostly the suburbs right outside of, of major cities or, or where we see these bikes going to. And the, these batteries aren't removable on the, uh, on the new one, right? They are, they are not. Um, okay. it's, it's. It's a big battery pack. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's other hardware in there too, right? You know, controller and stuff that would make removing it a bit trickier. Yeah, totally. Yep. The controller, all pretty much everything that's, that makes that bike move is inside that battery box. And as the controllers have come down in size, we've been able to fit more and more battery pack inside of there. So when consumers get your bike, uh, it's shipped directly from your uh like a factory or. Yeah. So we bring all the bikes into our facility in Santa Clara mm-hmm. and then we fully assemble them, test them on our dyno, do a test ride and then where we can, which is the majority of the United States, that bike actually leaves our facility fully assembled. It gets loaded up into a network of sprinter vans and box trucks through a company called Kitsuma. And then it's delivered to the customer's doorstep ready to ride. 
That's awesome. Wow. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, and that's, you know, for us, you know, we do sell an expensive product, but what we're so proud of is how we stand behind it and the customer service that we can offer. You know, if any customer has any question about their bike, they can call and we have a team of people in Santa Clara ready to pick up the phone and talk to them. Um, You know, we have plenty of replacement parts on hand. We have a network of shops and mobile bike shops for any service needs that they need. Um, And we're even with the new 72 volt kit, we started a program where we're actually picking up customers, older bikes from their homes, bringing them back to our facility for a full refurbishment, getting the upgraded battery pack into it and then ship right back to their doorstep. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, So like for instance, somebody who had the, uh, the older bike that you, you were selling, or I mean, you continue to sell, but you know, the 35 mile per hour bike, the slow one, uh, (laughs) uh, if they wanted to upgrade to this, that that's in the cards. Yep. A hundred percent. And that's as a brand, when we develop new technology, we always make sure it's backwards compatible. So as we develop new stuff for our future models, you know, there's going to be a point where someone who has a 72 volt bike in five years calls us up, say, Hey, time to upgrade. We pick it up from their house, bring it back to our facility, fully refurbish the bike, get it back to them in about a month. That's fantastic. You said uh, a month turnaround time. If I want to order the, one of these today, what's what's the ship time on on getting one of these in, into my garage? Yeah, well, this this year we actually have some inventory, so that's a that's a nice change of pace for us. But we're we're almost we're actually almost sold out of Shelby till May. Um, but yeah, two two weeks, two to three weeks at your doorstep by the oh, time wow. you reorder it, and uh, we we get it out to you. That's that's almost instant gratification. Almost, yeah. And then also, you know, for for our customers and. You know, if someone's not completely satisfied with their bike, they have 30 days to try it out. And if it's not the perfect bike for them, we pick it up, bring it back to our facility and give them a full refund as well. It doesn't happen a lot, but we want to make sure if we sell a bike to someone, they spent a lot of their hard-earned money on it, that it's it's their dream bike and they absolutely love it. You know, I think that's huge, you know, especially at, at these price points, you know, this isn't a budget bike. And so to give people that confidence that, you know, they're definitely going to love their bike or you'll take it back, I, I think is is very important. So I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're not in the, we're, we're in the business of building people's dream bikes. And if it's not that, then, then no hard feelings. Uh, they, they don't have to keep it. <laughs> yeah, it also shows that you don't get a lot of returns if you're able to continue to, to offer that policy. <laughs> We we don't. Once you throw your leg over one, it's like it all clicks. Um, yeah, it's it's a pretty cool experience, and and we're just about to launch a new website, and that's all, the thing we always have a problem with. It's like every time a customer gets a bike, they're like, "Wow, it exceeded my expectations on quality, the paint, all the detail work on it." Um, and uh, so it's it's a good thing, but it's also a bad thing because a lot of people come to our site or or give us a call, and there's they're not quite sure where the the money went versus. You know, there's a lot of electric kind of beach cruiser bikes out there. Um, but when you see, feel the bike and ride it, it, it all starts to make sense. Awesome. I love it. You've sold me. <laughs> <laughs> now I just have to try one. Yeah, we're going to we're going to we're going to ship a couple out to you guys so you can ride them around for a while. Oh, man. Awesome. I'm racing Seth then. <laughs> <laughs> first to 40. So, uh, we, sh- we should wrap up soon. I, I just wanted to ask a, a couple questions about, uh, like the, the battery. It looks like it has a cooling system here. Is that, does that cool the battery? Yeah. So the battery management system and the controller are all both mounted to that die cast aluminum housing. Um, and with a heat sinking compound. So, so that whole battery box, it doesn't get hot. It'll get warm. Um, but it just uses that entire surface area of that cast aluminum battery box to cool the electrical components. Um, it's a huge heat sink. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. And then the other question, uh, you know, obviously I'm doing some spoke math or uh, uh, sprocket math here. And, you know, at 45 miles per hour, I don't know if like my legs could go fast enough. Um, have you considered <laughs> doing gears on these? We have looked at it and we have we have prototypes of everything we have prototypes of mid drives and gears and really just the simplicity of a single speed and giving a customer a fantastic pedal assist experience up to about 20 miles an hour uh is really what we've we've landed on with this bike um you can change gearing around a bit but i just love the simplicity and the silence that you get from having no derailers just a single speed 
yeah. setup. It's just, you know, it's if you want gears and you want that pedal assist experience, that's where our cafe rally line come in. 10 speed, um, 750 watt hub motor, um, and, you know, still those vintage looks. All right. Awesome. Well, well, I, I have one more me. question real quick. Uh, I'm just pulling this out of the comments here. I noticed one of our commenters named Frederick Lambert is wondering hmm. if you ship to Canada. We do. We actually have, we have a full dealer network up in Canada. Um, and I believe we just shipped all of our bikes up there. So there's bikes in Canada ready to be purchased. Um, and so you can either, either call us, we have a sales team always ready to pick up the phone, um, call us and we can set you up with our dealers up in Canada. That's amazing. All right. Well, geez, this is awesome. Uh, you've like just talking about this for a half hour. I'm just kind of like doing math on, on, my finances and thinking, <laughs> is this something I should invest in and kind of feels like I should. Well, but we'll I, get, we'll get a couple bikes out there. And where are you guys located again? I'm in New York. Are you both in New York or? I do most of my riding in Florida, but I go oh. all over. Okay, cool. Well, we'll definitely get some of our demo bikes sent out to you guys. Cause I, I know you rode the 48 volt bike, but this is a totally different animal. All right. Well, I mean the 48 volt was pretty fun too. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to Seth's comparison. Yeah. Cool. Me too. All right, Andrew. Uh, appreciate you uh, spending some time with us. This has been super informative and uh, we love to talk shop with you guys, with you all the time. So thank yeah. you. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. Great. All right. Moving on. So we're going in a totally different direction in terms of e-bikes now, right? Uh, so we were just with high power, high cost e-bikes. What do we have coming up next, Seth? All right, Electric E-Bikes unveils X-Premium, low-cost, mid-drive folding electric bike with torque sensor. So this is a amazingly affordable mid-drive electric bike. When Electric unveiled this thing, like I just couldn't believe the price. So $1,799. Uh, what hey, you're getting here is pretty incredible. So it's a mid-drive motor. It's made by a company called Truck Run, which is actually becoming a fairly popular motor. Uh, a lot of people don't don't know it by name yet, but it's on a lot of e-bikes. Uh, there are hydraulic brakes. We've got uh, two batteries there for around uh, one kilowatt hour of capacity. And uh, I mean, this this thing is just like knocking it out of the park. Front suspension, which has, I think, twice the travel of electric XP 2.0. So, you know, there are a lot of other e-bikes out there in the $1,700, $1,800 range that are still rocking mechanical disc brakes, one battery and a hub motor. So uh, for a budget company like electric e-bikes to roll out something that's so much you know higher up the market, really surprised me in, in such a good way because I think this is really going to open the door to people who got into, you know, electric XP or, or a really budget bike, um, you know, cause their, their base models a thousand dollars and now they want to upgrade to something a little nicer. They want that higher torque for climbing Hills. They want a torque sensor in their motor so that their pedal assist is really natural feeling and intuitive. Uh, you know, they want the longer range. This has twice the battery capacity of electrics, other, um, you know, base electric XP 2.0. So, um, you know, the, the value here, I, I think is pretty incredible. I mean, have you ever seen an e-bike for 1800 bucks that has all of these parts? With two batteries and, and, uh, mid drive. No. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's just so much to take in here and it's a folder like on top right. of all that, which adds, you know, a bit of cost right there because you've got to make the, the frame more robust. Um, probably saves on shipping a little because you can ship in a, a bit of a smaller box. But uh, that's, that's another cool thing, by the way, though, is that it ships fully assembled, which, you know, we both get a lot of uh, bikes for testing and spending a half hour or an hour bolting together a bike out of a box is, is not fun. So the fact that it shows up, you know, just folded up in a box and you pop it out ready to ride is is pretty awesome. So yeah, I'm sure. I'm really bullish about this in terms of how it's going to open up sort of the the mid drive market. The one thing that that I do worry about a little bit is there are going to be a lot of riders out there that just don't know the difference between mid drive and hub motors, and they don't realize that you can't just you know leave it in top gear all the time, and that you can't be you know railing on the throttle while you're shifting. So um, electric is going to have to do a bit of rider education. In terms of you know teaching people the differences between an entry level hub motor bike and and how to really ride a, a mid drive, but I'm I'm really excited about the the potential for this one. 
And yeah, talk talk a little bit more about the uh, mid drive motor here. Uh, who makes it, and what what kind of power is it? And it does have a throttle on it, right? Yeah, so it's definitely throttle enabled. Um, and I remember talking to the guys when they were you know first uh, rolling out this design, sort of within the company when it was still embargoed, and they were like, "Yeah, we're not sure if we're going to go throttle or not." I was like, "Dude, you you got to put a throttle on this thing. Like, it's it's too awesome to not have a throttle." So definitely throttle. Uh, it's made by a company called Truck Run. Their motors are on um, the PX cycle, the Priority Current, which is um, my personal bike. Uh, that's one that after a review, instead of sending it back, I asked the company if I could just buy it because it's, it's such an awesome bike and I love that motor. I mean, it's it's so smooth. It's got a torque sensor, so the pedal assist feels really nice. Uh, it's 500 watts nominally, but it's uh, closer to 800 actual peak watts. So, you know, when you're flying up a hill, you're you're really getting like 800 watts of power. And the thing is just, you know, nice and smooth. It's a little bit louder than, you know, something like a, a Broza motor, but, uh, um, you know, dollar to dollar, pound to pound, I would say that it's it's a great value to get the performance of a nicer mid-drive motor and still be able to offer a bike at a price like this. Yeah. And the, and the suspension, uh, is it like kind of a high, high quality, mid-quality? I'm not sure who makes that fork, but it is a uh, hydraulic oil fork. It's not just okay. like a cheap Springer fork or something like right. that. So, you know, it's it's really got some uh, some decent damping there. It's not just like you're bouncing around on one of those like tinny sounding springs. That, that's awesome. It looks like a super fun bike. Um, so this just came out. When are when are they shipping? Are they shipping now or? I think they're going to ship in. It's either June or July. They're taking orders on Monday. So they like announced it, but they're, they're not going to start taking orders till next week. And then shipping is this summer. Awesome. So not moving far from the, the electric, uh, we're, we're now going to talk about the ultra affordable 799 electric XP light electric bike and, uh, your test ride. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, this is like the other end of the spectrum. They rolled this out just under two weeks ago and, uh, compared to their sort of base level electric XP 2.0, this is like a little bit smaller in every way. So um, the motor is a little less powerful. It's a 300 watt continuous 720 peak. It's got a slightly smaller battery, about 375 watt hours, significantly lighter. It's like 20 pounds lighter at 46 pounds. Um, wow. And it's a single speed. So you don't get the, um, you know, seven speed that they've got on the XP. But uh, what that does do, oh, and it doesn't have the suspension. But what that does do is it let them shave a couple hundred dollars off the price. So if you want, you know, a light, small folding e-bike that, um, you know, doesn't have suspension, doesn't have big fat tires, but gets you a 48 volt system, you know, pretty powerful, decently fast at class two speeds at $800. I mean, this like blows away the quality of like an Anshir or, you know, a, sure. like a Walmart e-bike or something like that. Right. But it costs the same, which is incredible or, you know, roughly the same. Maybe, right. Maybe. And these guys... I mean, they're, you know, they're a Phoenix based company. If you call support, they pick up the phone. Um, right. you know, like I, I was there, I, I saw their support team. They even told me that, um, at least at the time they didn't advertise that they have support on the weekends, but they actually do have teams there. So some people will call and they're just surprised to get somebody. Yeah. And, you know, I have to say like, this reminds me a little bit of like uh rad mini or, um, uh, what's the new rad, uh, fold. The expand five the expand but um you know it's got a lot of the same features but comes in a little bit less price wise uh yeah it's um i mean there are some some downsides here you know the smaller battery it's uh not half the size of rads but uh, you know a little over half the, the size of that battery and the power is lower you know it's not mm-hmm. the 750 watt motor on rad so there are some trade-offs but it's significantly lighter and significantly less expensive. So, you know, when you're talking about this very diverse ecosystem of e-bikes out there, to see something that's pretty good quality for this low of a price is impressive. Now, you know, if you're into high-quality bikes, this is not a high-quality e-bike, but it's a pretty good quality bike. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty compelling offer, I have to say. Like, you know, for $799, you are not like this is the first time I've seen a bike for $799 that I would actually want to ride around. And the fact that it's foldable, even better. Um, the yeah, one thing the, I, I didn't love is this uh, light coming off the back here. How come they didn't put that like on the back of the seat or whatever? 
Yeah, it's definitely got like a very long cantilever back there. And I didn't even notice while riding it that it was sort of like bouncing and, and flexing that arm that holds it until I went and checked the footage afterwards and was like, wow, that light's kind of like bouncing around there. So I, I was a little surprised looking back and seeing how much it, it bounced there. Um, I was on like a pre-production prototype bike, so it could be that's something that gets strengthened or they just use a heavier gauge uh, aluminum. I, I mean, I think that'd be an easy fix, right? To just, you know, increase the thickness of, of that part so that yeah. it doesn't vibrate the taillight. But like you're saying, you know, mounting it on the, the seat post or like in the seat clamp, I think would solve that as well. Cause you just don't need such a long arm to hold it. Yeah. Well, I mean, overall it's like super impressive. Like, uh, hats off to this, this company that keeps making like low cost, uh, compelling bikes. Yeah, um, and on both ends of the spectrum too. Like, you right. know, they went down market, they went up market. Like, really cool to see them branching out. Yeah. All right. Uh, so we're moving on to uh, a similar bike, sort of, but a little bit higher end. Uh, Luna launches its first hub motor e-bike and lowest cost model yet, the feature pack Luna Eclipse. Yeah. So if you're not familiar with Luna Cycle, uh, I mean, Seth, maybe you can give us a little bit of background on Luna. Like, it's a very special company. Yeah, so sort uh, uh, of by uh, Eric Hicks, who's a like super interesting guy. Um, we, I went to a Tesla event with him uh, a few years ago. Um, I visited his shop in um, in LA uh, near the El Segundo. Um, super like he's super into every single small detail. He's super into high performance and not just like motors and drivetrain, but also high, like high performance components, brakes, like everything. He, you know, I think he comes from a background of, of, you know, competitive cycling. Uh, some of the, the, the top uh, managers there are also competitive cyclists. And then, um, you know, I think uh, he, he got into the, uh, it's something with the, the batteries of uh, um, some kind of battery part that he, he, he could bring over and, he kind of put the company together with like, you know, really good supply chain stuff together with like high, high, high quality component parts. And Luna builds like batteries and, um, you know, for off the shelf stuff, they build kits for, uh, people who are doing their DIY, but they also like all their bikes are just like crazy top end stuff. And, you know, they're, they're not, they're not super interested in like class one, you know, kind of, not their thing. So yeah, they don't do anything half clutch. <laughs> right. And so that makes this, this bike so interesting because this is actually the lowest cost Luna bike that they've ever developed, but you know, there's nothing like low quality about it. So it's a full suspension folding bike to start, which normally that would like ratchet up the price right away, but it's only $1,395. And then when you look at what it includes, they've got a thousand watt hub motor on there, thousand watt peak. And that also makes this the first hub motor powered bike from Luna because they've all only done mid drives up to this point. Um, you know, it's got um, good quality components. There's not hydraulic brakes. That's the one thing that I would have loved to have seen. And personally, I might've spent a little bit more than 1400 if it had hydraulic brakes, but I get that, you know, Luna and Eric, that they're trying to make this as affordable as possible and still give people a Luna branded bike while targeting more of a mass market customer. Yeah, I mean, this thing's you know quite tempting. I can't can't wait to give it a a spin. Um, but also, it's got a Gates belt drive. Right. Oh yeah. <laughs> There's so many parts here. I, I totally forgot about that one. So yeah, like if you're not familiar with Gates, it's probably the leading uh, belt manufacturer for electric bikes. I mean, they do belts for everything. You know, like the Harley Davidson Livewire has it. Zero uses their belts. So you know, they build for you know super high power projects. They build for low power things. But in the e-bike world, Gates is basically the standard. There are other companies, but you know, if you've got a Gates belt, then you've got a product that's going to last literally tens of thousands of miles. So with this bike, you never have to worry about, you know, chain maintenance, oiling it, um, tension. It's a single speed. So, you know, you don't have a a derailleur or anything, Um, but you've just got this like whisper quiet transmission that is going to be maintenance free and not give you any problems. So that's another huge thing, especially for someone who wants a folding bike, because you're probably living in an apartment, you know, you're living in 
an active lifestyle. You're commuting each day on the subway, so you got to bring your your bike on there. You're not looking to have problems with maintaining your derailleur all the time. So that, that's another really cool feature here. And another reason that it's kind of crazy that he was able to get this price at $1,395 with such good quality name brand components. Yeah. I mean, the thing is just, it's kind of like if I was going to build, you know, like an absurd, like BMXE folding bike, this is kind of what it would come out looking like. So for me, it's like, you know, he had all the right, right spots. And for 1400 bucks, like it's hard to beat. Yeah. That's a no brainer. All right. Uh, moving forward, uh, we're going to talk about the Blix Ultra 28 mile per hour fat tire electric bike with a 1350 watt motor and 80 mile range. This is an interesting bike for Blix because before the Ultra here, they really focused on this Dutch style sort of leisure pleasure cruisers. You know, they had a very nice, elegant folder, but this is like an almost an urban assault bike. You know, you can do off-roading with it. It's definitely sort of a, a dual sport bike like that, but it's it's got the fat tires. It's got the front suspension. It's got an aggressive geometry that, that you'd look for in like an adventure style bike. So right off the bat, it's a very different design for Blix. But then, you know, we're talking about two batteries here, uh, class three. So that means it can go up to 28 miles per hour. It's got a powerful motor, you know, 750 watts continuous, but that's what it has to say on the sticker, right? To be legal. What it's actually putting out is closer to 1,350 watts of peak power. Plus it's got 90 Newton meters of torque, which is, um, you know, one of the higher torque uh, hub motors out there. You know, you can get higher with mid drives, but for a hub motor bike, I mean, that's 90 Newton meters. That's some, some serious torque. So the performance here is impressive, you know, high power, long range with the two batteries, um, you know, suspension, hydraulic disc brakes. And personally, I also love that frame, how it's got sort of that drop down in there. Uh, if you're not watching the uh, video here with us live, then it's got a sort of a typical diamond frame to a bike, but right in front of the seat post, the frame actually drops down lower. So if you were to hop forward from a high seating position, you're not going to you know, catch yourself in a uncomfortable position, you could say. Yeah, it's quite an important piece. Yeah, it looks amazing. Yeah. I, uh, uh, or when are we going to see a review of this one? So it's not available yet. Uh, I don't remember the uh, shipping time yet, but um, it's you know their newest model. They just unveiled it a couple days ago, and so it's it's going to be a little while, I think, until uh, they're you know rolling into people's driveways. Cool. Hopefully, hopefully this summer. All right, moving forward, uh, Rad Power Bikes resetting to refocus on its electric bike customers in more physical stores. And resetting usually means uh, some layoffs. Yeah, unfortunately, this is this is sort of an interesting but also sad story. So on the one hand, Rad Power Bikes is ending their Rad Mobile service, where Rad Mobile was their fleet of, I think it was almost uh, 100 vans or so of these um, you know, big panel vans that uh, would go around to people's homes. They would, you know, build bikes that people had bought. So it, it arrives pre-built for you. They would do maintenance. So, you know, if you don't live near a bike shop or you just have a busy lifestyle and can't go to a bike shop, they'll come right to your house and work on your bike in your driveway. Um, they would even do test rides. So if you wanted to buy uh, a Rad Power bike, but like you were kind of thinking between two models or something, they'd bring the models and you could test them out and then choose the one that you wanted to buy. So it was a really cool service. I used it multiple times. Uh, I knew a few of the mechanics. They were awesome people. And so it's sad to see the Rad Mobile service ending. The rationale that um, I got from Mike and others in the company was was basically that this was a way to sort of streamline their operations amid rising costs. You know, we've seen Rad have to raise prices of bikes by a little bit. Uh, it's not just Rad, you know, it's going around the industry. Many leading e-bike companies are raising prices. They're pricing pressures from the cost of materials, the exchange rate, uh, sky-high shipping costs for containers. Um, you know, Rad even chartered their own uh, container ships to try and combat the the rising shipping prices. So there've been a lot of pressures and they're they're, you know, sort of, trimming off something that I think wasn't super cost effective with this mobile service. But what they're doing instead is they're going to be expanding their brick and mortar retail locations. So they're going to be coming to 
um, the East Coast. There's going to be a Florida location. There's going to be, I believe, a Brooklyn location. Um, and then I think one in Texas as well, if I'm not mistaken. Those are the first three they're going to be opening this year. But then there are apparently a number of other locations that they haven't announced the exact cities yet. And so they're really going to invest in expanding their their physical brick and mortar stores. They can try and get more people into sort of this surrounding rad experience. So there they can do service, they can test bikes, et cetera. And then at the same time, they're still going to work with their partners with uh, VeloFix for mobile service. So if you relied on someone to come by with a van and, and work on your bike, you can still get that with a third-party company that, that Rad contracts with. Yeah, so uh, it's kind of a shame they 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 had like around 100 of these things, right? Yeah, it was you know not a small undertaking. They spent years building up Rad Mobile, and it was one of the things that really differentiated them from other companies because no one else had that kind of reach or that kind of you know power to invest in such a an interesting but obviously cost intensive service. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't like sell that piece of the business to Velofix or you know the, those employees as well to you know kind of just sold off that part of the company to to another or you know just like spun it out as a because it seems like you know it seems like a really valuable service definitely adds value like you know for people who don't live near a bike shop this is perfect you know you have a you know broken controller or something get it fixed like pretty quickly seems like pretty awesome it's really sad to see it go but i guess you know it, it wasn't you know top top line bringing in and good money so they're outsourcing that to Velofix now. Yeah. And, and it makes sense. That's, you know, all Velofix does. And, you know, Rad is a, a bike company. They get people on bikes. They don't necessarily run mobile van services. Yeah. All right. Well, interesting space. We'll keep an eye on that. Uh, moving forward, uh, ride one up prodigy 28 mile per hour electric bike begins delivery, dropping mid drive e-bike prices to new low. So love this, uh, might be my next, uh, uh, you know, uh, daily driver. I don't know. We'll see. Definitely. I know you're a fan of those Broza motors. So yep. here we've got uh, another Broza mid-drive motor. And generally, any bike with a German-made mid-drive motor is going to be quite expensive. But the Prodigy here comes in at $2,300, which it's not cheap for an electric bike, but is cheap for a German motor <laughs> electric bike. Yeah, I mean, these are the, the motors that Specialized uses on their on a lot of their bikes. Um, it's kind of, I would, I would probably say, you know, all else being equal, a Broza motor is going to be the best experience you're going to get. If you're, if you're into pedal assist and, and get, you know, getting some exercise, that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. There are a lot of Bosch fanboys out there and, you know, Bosch makes a nice motor, but putting them next to each other, I've always had a nicer experience on Broza motors. So it's, it's great to see ride one up going that direction and, you know, just like with the electric X premium, that was that company's first uh, mid-drive bike. This is Ride One Up's first uh, stab at a mid-drive bike. And so it's really cool to see these companies that are really more of these, you know, value-oriented e-bike companies, whereas electric is more on the budget end. Ride One Up is generally in the 13 to 1600-ish dollar range. So they're you know, a bit higher, closer to rad prices, but it's great to see them enter the mid-drive space and help bring these prices down compared to, you know, three, $4,000, like we're used to seeing for a typical high-end uh, mid-drive electric bike. And, you know, we're still getting good parts here. You know, we've got a nice uh, suspension fork. We've got uh, hydraulic disc brakes. We've got the uh, included fenders and rear rack, depending on the model. There is a sort of mountain bike-ish version of this that doesn't come with the uh, fenders or a rear rack, but you do get that uh, suspension uh, fork. So you know, there's, there's a lot of good parts here, integrated battery, multiple frame styles, multiple sizes, a lot to like, especially for a company that, you know, focuses on bringing prices down. Yeah. And, you know, like you would expect uh, a company like this to go with like a, uh, you know, like a Bafang uh, mid-drive motor or, you know, uh, you know, any number of like kind of, I would say mid-tier uh, quality uh, mid-drives, but going all the way with the with the Brosas, pretty impressive here. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely give them respect for that, for not, you know, going too far down the, the product hierarchy there and going with, you know, the cheapest mid-drive. 
All right. Uh, next up, look and listen as we get our first video of the Ducati racing electric motorcycle doing hot laps. So Ducati has an interesting history with electric motorcycles. The company spent years sort of saying that, you know, they're not going to build electric motorcycles until the technology is ready, that, you know, they can't put enough battery in them to actually give the performance that people want out of a Ducati, et cetera. And then like weeks after the last statement from someone high up in, in Ducati's, um, I don't think it was a C-level executive, but uh, one of the vice presidents, suddenly they announced, all right, we're going to make the uh, new uh, Moto E electric motorcycles starting in 2023 after Energica finishes their contract. And so now we're getting our first real look at the prototype of the Ducati V21L, which I think is the um, temporary name for the bike. And I got to say, for a company that was denying that it was possible to build a Ducati electric motorcycle until a few months ago, they've got a pretty nice looking bike. Yeah, this this wasn't thrown together in a couple of months. This has been worked on for years, I'm sure. Yeah, and I've I've spoken to Energica's CEO, and she maintains that um, Ducati definitely had at least one Energica bike in their uh, you know workshop doing benchmarking, examining how it was built. So they they were able to leapfrog the technology a bit by by looking at another important Italian electric motorcycle company. But regardless of how they got there, it definitely looks like they've gotten there because they've got a very impressive, great-looking electric racing motorcycle that they've already said is going to directly lead to a consumer bike that will follow using a lot of the technology they've developed. So it's it's great to finally see progress being made at Ducati. Yeah, and for me, what's kind of exciting about this is we see that um, because it's an electric, they don't need as much air intake to cool off the motor. They can make it way more aerodynamic, and theoretically, that's going to make uh, highway driving uh you know, a little bit less, uh, energy intensive. So, uh, fantastic, fantastic here. I, I don't know. What, what do you think about like the design here? I mean, this is obviously purpose built for Moto E racing. So this is a highly aggressive stance, uh, you know, fully fared. Obviously, you know, I haven't had a chance to ride this, but, um, I did check out the bike that it's supposedly based on, which is the, uh, Energica, uh, ego and that one is is also it's such an aggressive riding stance that you know you feel like your your knees are up in your throat kind of thing oh. and I, I personally would never want to ride a bike like this just because that's not my type of riding you know i ride for like leisure you know but but for the guys that really want to get out there and just you know drag knee in the corners this is this is definitely going to be an interesting bike when they start producing a consumer version yeah yeah the uh Contracted folks are going to love it. <laughs> All right. Uh, one last one is the awesomely weird Alibaba vehicle of the week, a $500 self-balancing one-wheel dorkmobile. This one was surprisingly popular. You know, some of these are a little hit or miss, and people had, uh, you know, some some space in their heart for this weird little self-balancing thing. So if if you're just listening, I'll try and describe this to the best of my ability, though even looking at it, I'm not sure you'd understand what it was. <laughs> there is one wide wheel, looks like it came off of a riding lawnmower. You're sitting on a sort of motorcycle-style seat, or I guess it's a bicycle saddle, but you're sitting, you know, motorcycle-style straddling this thing, and you've got handlebars on this sort of protrusion out in front of you. But other than that, you're kind of like jetsoning around on a self-balancing wheel. And the, don't forget the foot pegs that are coming off of the. I don't know, where where do those even connect to? It is unclear, right? <laughs> <laughs> They're just floating. Yeah, you, you just got these floating foot pegs that look quite nice. But um, I mean, the, the weirdest thing about there's a lot of weird things, but the weirdest thing of all here to me is that with a self-balancing electric vehicle, you know, like a hoverboard or a electric unicycle or anything, the control protocol is generally you lean forward to go forwards and you lean backwards to slow down and stop. But this appears to have both a throttle and a brake lever. And that seems like a bad idea because if you're, you know, going forwards and you pull the brake lever, you're liable to just, you know, face plant into the sidewalk. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure how this works. I mean, it's, it's so cheap. It's like, I mean, cheap for, something like this, it's like 
400 $500, something like that, that I kind of want to get one and just see how the heck this thing works. But I think I'll have to update my life insurance policy first. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I don't know if you have enough, like, leather and padding to to make it make sense. I, like a football helmet. They didn't have any videos, did they? Because I, I think that would maybe, uh, I don't know, dispel any concerns or, or probably make them even worse. Yeah, unfortunately, no videos. I would have loved to have seen this in action, but they definitely have some models sitting on them. So we know that they exist in some form. Right. And... uh so did it have like a top speed or any specs on the uh, the motor? I think it was, um, if I'm not mistaken, 18 kilometers an hour, something like that. So like 12 miles an hour. Okay, so it's it's basically a sitting Segway at that point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not you know high performance, but it's not a toy either. It's not five right. miles an hour. Right. So you're not going to die. You're just going to be in the hospital probably. Yeah, you'll you might wish that it had gone right. faster and finished the job. Right. Well, uh, yeah, I, I would love to see one of these being reviewed. Um, let's move into comments here before we head out. Um, there's a lot of comments today, so I'm going to try to pick some good ones. Um, let's see. Uh, so Fred Lambert, our uh, editor-in-chief at Electric, uh, thought the uh, the black uh, vintage was, was sick. I agree. Uh Fred joined us throughout the show with some great commentary. Um, so Tyler Dono says, I'm confused how it is a class two. Does it cease being a class two? If you increase the speed, we're talking about vintage still here. Um, why don't you uh, dive into that? Sure. Yeah. So it's, it's a bit of legal gray area, but they ship limited to class two speed and power. So when it shows up, if you twist the throttle, it's going to stop at 20 miles an hour if you're climbing a hill, you're going to be like, why isn't this flying up so fast? It's because it's limited to 750 watts. So the user has to go in and unlock it, which is usually either like a key code in the uh, display or through a a phone app. And at that point, you're uh, removing the restrictions and it's on you that you're taking it out of class two mode. That's sort of how the company stays legal there because it's it's your responsibility to ride it somewhere where you're allowed to, like a abandoned airstrip. Right, right. But the temptation to to open it up on a regular road is going to be hard for a lot of people, myself included, to resist. Um, and and to that, uh, Fred also adds, it's always legal as long as you don't get caught, which I'm not sure if that's exactly the law, but... Um, <laughs> Illegal might not be the right word. Legal is not the right word. <laughs> Doable, right. Um, let's see. Uh, these bikes have always been awesome, but how many locks would you need to use to be able to leave these outside for 30 minutes and have them still where you want there when you return. That's a great question. We should have asked Andrew that, uh, how many locks, maybe like six or seven. What do you think? Yeah, I would hire a guard. Yeah. Maybe you, uh, breathing lock. you put a couple, like 35 air tags on it and, uh, <laughs> and hopefully you beat it to the, uh, boat to off, off, off the, uh, continent. All right. Uh, moving on. Uh, Tyler Donho says, I feel like race mode makes it motorcycle mode. I think that's pretty accurate. Um, you know, 40 miles per hour is getting into that space. And obviously the bike looks like it's, that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't understand about that bike is it is built like a motorcycle. Like everything is thick. Uh, we said over, overproduced, or what do you say? Over engineered overbuilt i'd say yeah overbuilt yeah it's just like everything on there can take 35 miles per hour like if you're going 35 miles per hour on a you know a walmart bike down down a hill like things are shaking wobbling like you know it gets (laughs) scary um on this thing it just feels like you're cruising and it that's a it's a big difference like having overbuilt stuff um all right moving on uh the e-bike subreddit is absolutely full of people's conversion kits now Yes. And, and frankly, you know, I have a conversion kit. It's a fun thing to do. I, I kind of feel like it should be a, a course in school, like build, like take your, take your bike and turn it into an e-bike. Be, be very po- for today. Yeah. Very popular class. I bet. All right. Fred's back. Put a saddle seat on this and I'll trade in my Suron. Uh, I don't think that's impossible. Uh, we could probably do that. Um, It'd be a good deal too. Cause the Suron's like half the price. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. So, all right. Uh, let's see. We got Tom Pierce wondering about e-bike options for doubling a nine-year-old kid on the back. Uh, so what what do you think for, for having a kid on the back? One of my favorite passenger-carrying e-bikes is the Rad Runner. It's, yeah. it's just so well-designed for carrying people. I think that yeah, would be fun. the first one to look at. It's funny you mentioned that. I was um, on my uh, father-in-law's Rad Runner carrying around my 10-year-old uh, all week last week in Florida. So uh, can't can't recommend that enough. Um, let's see. Will you uh, – moving on here. All right, here's one. Uh, Tyler Donahoe again. I have a lot of friends with small apartments that would love a folder like this. I think we're talking about um, the electric – or sorry, the light. Yeah, the XP light. They're already poor and can't afford things like Bromptoms or Turns. That's that's great. What do you think about that? I mean, that's the prime market. It's people that want a full bike to fit into a you know very urban 21st century lifestyle, but don't have the dollars that those generally take. Yeah. All right. A uh, few more. Uh, Electric turned out to be a great company. I met one of the owners when I tried out the first XP, and they have a great line of affordable bikes that won't break the bank. Um, let's see, moving on. Oh, here's Fred again, but from the Facebook group, he's hitting us from all sides. Uh, I think he's talking about the uh, Luna here. Is it me or the back suspension looks kind of flimsy? It did look a little flimsy, but I'm sure, uh, it's not. Uh, what do you think about that on the Luna? So it's direct suspension, which is never as comfortable or high performance as when you have linkage, you know, there's there's a lot of different suspension designs out there um, with multi-point, um, you know, there's, there's you know, four-point, five-point, uh, and there's there's a lot of interesting designs. Then there's a simple spring between two parts of a bike on a hinge, and that's what Luna went with. So it's not sophisticated suspension, direct rear suspension, but as long as they're using decent parts, which Luna always has, I trust that it's going to be fine, if not the highest performance. All right, that's the uh, end of our questions here. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for joining us again. We will be back in another two weeks with the next episode of the Wheelie Podcast. We'll see you then.